Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Well, this morning, um, this is not a Christmas message. We'll just make that clear at the outset. Uh, despite the trees behind me, we'll begin our Christmas series next week. Um, today I wanted to, I wanted to just open up and, and read a passage of scripture. It's found in uh, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. And if you have a Bible with you, if you go ahead and open it to Luke 19, uh, some of you perhaps uh, use your phone or device uh, to read the Bible, which is fine. You can go ahead and flip that open. We're going to spend a bit of time here. Um, for me personally, I like reading an actual paper Bible, and it's probably because I'm old, but uh, one of the things I love about uh, the particular Bible that I use, it has these wide margins on the side, and I like that. I mean, my eyes are still pretty good, so I can, I can read the writing, but I have these margins, and so if I hear something in a message or someone explains a particular thing about a passage, I like to make little notes in the margin, and so then each time I come back and read it, I'm reminded of the things that I've learned, and so I want to encourage you to, to perhaps uh, start that as a tradition for yourself of just uh, making little notes and kind of tracking along with us. So Today we're going to read uh, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, and we'll, we'll of course throw the verses up on the screen behind me so you can track along um, with us as we go. Here we go. Luke 19, beginning in verse 1, it says, He, speaking of Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to know who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was of small stature. It's a polite way of saying he was short. (laughs) So he ran on ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he, Jesus, was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, everybody say they, when they saw it, they, they all grumbled, okay, we'll talk about this later, but there's some they's in the story, okay, they all grumbled and they said, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner, (gasps) emphasis added, verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, now we assume this is after they had spent some time together, behold, Lord. The half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold or four times as much as I have taken. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is the son of Abraham for the son of man. Jesus gives us a mission statement right here. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Would you uh, pass me this box right in front of you, Naomi? Would you mind doing that? Thank you. Today, um, I'm going to use this box as my sermon prop. Please ignore the Home Depot logo. We're not, uh, this has not been sponsored. It's just, it's all I had. I want to use the box as an illustration. How many of you have heard the, uh, have you heard the phrase, think outside the box? Let me see a show of hands. All right, everybody. Even, even the kids in the room are like, oh yeah, of course, I know what that means. To think outside the box means to think differently creatively, perhaps to think unconventionally from a new perspective. 
And so we get this idea of like you approach something and you approach it through a particular lens, a way you've always done it, a way you've always thought about it. And to think outside the box means to think differently about it, to approach it from a different mindset. Uh, I was reading about this, this one company, and when they were hiring new employees, they put a question on like the, the test, the survey that they would put new potential employees through. And it was, it was with this idea of trying to find people who could figure out how to think outside the box, who could think creatively. And uh, so I'll, I'll share it with you and see, see what you think. So here's, here's how it goes. The question would say, you're driving down the road on a stormy night, lightning flashing, rain, it's a horrible night, the weather's terrible, and you're driving, you're in a two-seater car, so there's room for you and one other person, and as you drive by a bus stop, there are three people in the bus stop. One of them is an elderly woman, she's coughing, Ugh. she could potentially die from exposure, so she, there's, that's pretty serious. The other person in there is a friend of yours that once saved your life. You're indebted to this person. And lastly, there is the man or woman of your dreams. Uh, yeah, so a tough choice, right? And so the question on the survey is, what do you do? Which one do you save? And so, of course, people would follow through the particular logic and think, well, you know, uh, perhaps, you know, since this elderly lady is near death, then we should save her and leave the other two. They'll probably survive, so I'll take that. Someone else might say, well, you know, she's probably going to die anyway. Uh, I've been looking for love for a long time or whatever. So... Each person is trying to figure out. So uh, the correct answer for this particular test um, question was this. You ready for this? Thinking outside the box. You stop. You give the keys to your friend whom you trust, who then would drive the elderly lady to the hospital. And then you, you wait for the bus in the shelter with the man or woman of your dreams. All right? It's pretty clever, right? So you weren't thinking that. You weren't thinking that. Why? Because you were thinking, I can only save one. I can only save one. There's no other options. Thinking outside the box is this idea of getting outside of, of what is currently done, what is expected. And so I guess in a sense, the box that I'm holding would represent tradition. Traditions are good, and they can be bad. Uh, this would represent the way things have always been done. Could represent rules. Could represent culture. There's a lot of things they could represent, right? Because... It, we, we form boxes because boxes help bring clarity. There's a, there's a company who was in the news recently, uh, Tesla. You've heard of Tesla. <laughs> Tesla makes electric vehicles, and they're always making these really aerodynamic, shapely, really beautiful vehicles. And uh, recently, they released their version of a pickup truck, okay, which is, which is pretty interesting because, you know, uh, the Elon Musk, the CEO of the company, gets up on the stage and he begins his presentation by talking about how people have always viewed trucks in one way, and they always look like this. Every truck for 100 years has looked like some version, the shape. Like, you could point at that, and you could take a two-year-old who can barely talk, say, what is that? And they, of course, know. It's a twuck. There's always a W. Don't, I don't know why. There's a twuck. And so they get that. They know that that is, that is a truck. And we know the truck, not because of what it does, but because of the shape. We go, of course, we know what that is. That's a truck. So, of course, Tesla produces, uh, or they revealed their new truck design. And here's what it looked like. <laughs> right? And the crowd was kind of like, yay, I think. Because again, in, in our minds, we go, that can't be, a truck can't be a triangle. If you show that to a two-year-old, they'll be like, woo-fo. <laughs> you know, a kid like, it's a pyramid. I don't know. You look at that, you go, that can't be a truck. But it does everything a truck does. It has a bed. You can carry stuff. It can tow stuff. It, like, it's a truck. But it doesn't look like a truck. So they're as a company, they're trying to get outside of a framework that everyone has just accepted about the way a vehicle should look. 
Now, you may be wondering why, why I'm talking about getting outside the box. Well, the reason why I'm talking about that is because Jesus was a master at this. Like Jesus, and the title of my message today is Ministry Outside the Box. Because Jesus, in spite of the cultural norms, in spite of the religious traditions of his day, he continued to do ministry, and often he was painting outside the lines of the current traditions. Now, he was never painting outside the lines of God's law, doing things that were sinful, like he was, he was perfect and holy, but he, he was constantly doing things that people stopped and scratched their head and like, is that, the, can you do that? In those days, um, Jewish rabbis would teach in the, primarily in synagogues, which were kind of like churches, right? And so they'd have these, these meeting spaces, and all the men would gather, and the women would sit separately, and they would read from the scrolls, and the men would ask questions, and, and none of that was how it was told to be done. It was the way that they did it traditionally. And on occasion, Jesus shows up in the synagogue, <laughs> says stuff that gets everybody mad, uh, but primarily he would spend his time preaching in, in the fields and by the lake, and he would stand in a boat and he would preach to families, right? Men, women, children together listening. And in those days, they would read the ancient scriptures and they would pull it all apart and Jesus would tell stories. Like, can you do that? Is that a real sermon? So one day a farmer went out and he was throwing seeds on the ground. Like, where's that in Isaiah? I can't find it anywhere. Jesus was constantly doing things that made people scratch their head. One time he would heal somebody by touching them. One time he would heal them by saying, go and you're healed. Another time he spits in the ground, makes some mud, pastes it on the guy's eyes, tells him to go wash it off. And he said, Jesus was just constantly, you see, he wasn't a rebel. He wasn't a contrarian, but he, he would not allow himself to be boxed in. Do you know you can't put God in a box Right, And I, I don't mean a physical Home Depot box. I'm talking about our box. The way, like, this is the way it is. Black and white. These are the limits. We don't do that, and we can't do that. You know, um, I have to say this as well. The box isn't bad, you know. There would be, we're all wired differently, right? And so there would be some people who are wired in a very creative, I'll use the word liberal way, and I'm not talking about political parties, I'm saying that somebody would think, hey, tradition, you know, not that important, rules, structure, organizational systems, like, hey, let's, let's all be free to pursue our hearts and do, you know, whatever's necessary. Maybe there's some people in here like, yeah, that's my jam, right? Like, I don't like rules, I don't like structure. And, and there's something good about that, but then there's also a lot of value in rules, systems, and structures. Would you agree? Like, some traditions are a waste of time, but some of them those traditions that we have, be it family traditions or even Christmas traditions. You go, oh, well, why do we do that? All this stuff. Some of those traditions are, have been built around something that is extremely valuable and should not be thrown out. So the question is, what do we do with the box? Right? Sometimes we have to think and minister outside the box, and sometimes we need to minister inside of it. Boxes are good. Yesterday I was helping a friend move, and I was so thankful that when we showed up to help them move, all their stuff was organized neatly, color-coded, with labels in boxes. Because if you don't have structure, if you don't have systems, if you don't have rules and traditions, guess what you have? Chaos. But if you have too much rigid structure, if we create too many boxes, guess what you have? Tyranny. You do. 
Like if you think that you can look at somebody and figure out, oh, they're a good person, they're a bad person, they love Jesus, they don't. We create boxes around our marriage, we create boxes around our theology, we create boxes around everything we do, and it's so easy to do. We create nice, tidy lines, we go, sexuality goes in this box, marriage goes in that box, my money goes in that box, and all the clear lines, but how many of you know life isn't always like that? So we're trying to think about this in terms of ministering outside the box. You know, I've found um, churches are famous for building and creating boxes and getting stuck in them. True? Um, I, I can say that uh, from experience. I grew up in church. Um, I, I grew up in church, and for the 40 years, I've been in church. And one of the things I've noticed about churches is that um, churches, for better or for worse, uh, are very high on tradition and creating systems and boxes. And, and sometimes what we do is we make the model of what we do, the way we dress, the songs we sing, the order of service, the church structure, the way the building looks, uh, how we do approach things, and we make the model sacred instead of the mission. Maybe some of you have seen this. It's why sometimes you walk into a church and people dress like they did 30 years ago. They sing songs that are 30 or more years old. Even smells 30 years old, <laughs> you know, sometimes. Um, and so... <laughs> And, 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 it's, and it's done, again, it sounds negative, but it's really not. Like, the reason why this happens in churches is because of this. When God moves among his people, we're doing something and God does something, right? And when God does something, that's when we're like, wow, this is amazing. God just showed up and did something. The problem is when God shows up and, and people's lives are changed, we look around and we go, what were we doing? What clothes were we wearing? What songs were we doing? How were we doing children's ministry when all those kids came to faith? That's the way it has to be forever because when we did that, God did this. So it's all sacred and we put a box around what we're doing instead of what God was doing. And that's how we get stuck. And churches are famous for that. I was recently uh, talking to somebody who doesn't attend church. Um, and this person asked me the question that I often get. Like, oh, what do you do for a living? And I responded, I'm a pastor. That's usually where the conversations end. It gets awkward, and they're like, hey, you know, it's nice talking. See you later. And they kind of wander off. But this, this person was, um, was kind of stuck with me for a little while, so they continued to ask questions. But asked a really great question. The question was this. Um, are churches dying? Because as somebody that doesn't attend church, they would see, you know, articles in the paper. They would hear news and stuff like that on the Internet. And you usually hear about churches that are dying, not churches that are growing in the news. Would you agree? Uh, it's, it's usually the way it works. And, and so the question was, our church is dying. And I thought about it for a second, and then I answered the question this way. I said, yes and no. Because while it's true that there are some churches, and a church isn't a building, it's a group of people who are following Jesus. And, and there are churches, there are communities of people that are dwindling in size. Maybe they're aging out. And you've seen churches where there's 15 seniors, and they're trying to keep the lights on and keep meeting and doing the things that they're doing. And the churches eventually shuts the doors if they can't revitalize it. But I said there are also churches that are thriving where, where God's moving and families are, family ministry is happening and people are coming to faith. People of all ages are worshiping together in unity. And this was news to this particular individual. And I got thinking about it and I began to think, well, what's the difference between the churches that are dying and the churches that are thriving? And the only answer I could come to, it would be easy to assume that the churches that are dying is because they don't believe in Jesus and they're not faithful. And that's just not true. I've been 
part of churches that were dying. I've been around people in these churches. And I can tell you that a lot of the people in those churches that are shrinking and about to close their doors, there are people, many of them are older, who love Jesus with all their heart. Their theology is sound. They care about their community. They pray. One of the reasons why those churches are in the state they are is because somewhere along the line, they created a box and said, this is what church looks like and this is how we do ministry. And they made the model sacred instead of the mission. And I say that not in criticism of other churches, like we've got it figured out, but rather as a warning to us as a church to understand that if we ever take what we do and make it sacred and forget about why we do it, then we too would die. Because Jesus said his, mis- his mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus was so focused on finding and saving people, not in systems and structures. And although they're necessary, the mission has to stay at the center. Is that making sense? So this is where Jesus would paint outside the lines when those lines would stop people from coming to Christ. So for Jesus, the mission always trumped tradition. You could say it this way, the mission always trumped the model. And the mission of seeking and saving that was lost always trumped the method. Okay? And so what I want to do this morning as we, as we think along this line of, of like, okay, what does it mean to minister outside of our tradition, the way we think it's done, being focused on the mission of Christ? What does it mean? We're going to look through the text again, and I'm going to just kind of preach and stop and preach a little bit along the way. So Luke 19, we're going to circle back to the first verse and walk through it. Here's what it says. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. Nice little historical nugget. When the nation of Israel under Joshua entered into the land of Israel, one of the first cities they had to conquer was Jericho, and it was a massive walled city. And God had the people march around it, and then God knocked the walls down. What you may not know is that God told the nation of Israel, don't rebuild the city. It's cursed. Don't rebuild the city. Guess what they did? Yeah, surprise. They rebuilt the city. So the city was cursed. And it's interesting that Jesus... In fact, Jesus, to our knowledge, he never really stopped and did ministry in Jericho. So he was going from one place to another. Jericho's in the middle. He's just going through it, is what he tells us. But even in this cursed place, where no one's supposed to be, the light of Jesus still shines, which is, which is just kind of cool. Verse 2, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. I find it interesting that they add the little, he was rich. You know, you ever, you ever met somebody and then you're like, oh, I just met so-and-so and they're rich. I don't know. I do, we just throw that in there. It's weird. But Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And uh, for those, you know, you think, oh, well, it's like he worked for the CRA, you know, the Canada Revenue Agency. No, it's nothing like that. You see, Rome had conquered the nation of Israel. And instead of killing everybody, they let them all live for most of them. And then they would, they would make the nations they conquered pay them taxes. This is very smart. So they would have money coming in from all the nations they had conquered, and Israel was no different. And the ways that they would do this, the system they would put in place for this, is that they would hire tax collectors. And the tax collectors in Israel were typically Jewish men who lived in the community, so you know everybody's business. You live with these. These are all your neighbors, cousins, aunts, uncles, friends, people you've been grown up. So they hire you, and you go around and collect all the taxes for Rome and send it off to Caesar. Now, as you can imagine, the people didn't like Rome. They didn't want to pay taxes, and it's their own people that are, that are taking it. Sometimes the tax collectors would take more than they should and pocket it. 
So tax collectors weren't viewed as government employees. They were viewed as turncoats and traitors. And this guy is not just a tax collector. He's actually the chief tax collector. So he's the boss of all the turncoats. That's who we're talking about. And it's interesting to me that, that Jesus is going to have an interaction with this man and that this man's heart and life is going to be transformed. So here's what it says in the next verse. He, Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was. Despite his rank, despite his despicable occupation, he was interested in Jesus. He wanted to know who Jesus was. He, he wanted to get to Jesus. He wanted to learn about Jesus. He wanted to hear from him. But notice what it says next. On account of the crowd, he could not... Because he was short. Because he was small and stature. He couldn't, he couldn't see Jesus. He couldn't get through the crowd to get to Jesus. Now, I may be stretching this a little bit, but I, I want you to notice something. Here's a person that nobody would expect that wants to get to Jesus, and he can't. And do you know why he can't get to Jesus? Yeah, he's short, but, but, but why can't he then? He, he, short people can come talk to me, you know. But what's stopping Zacchaeus from getting to Jesus to talk to him? Anybody know? Crowds of people, other people trying to follow Jesus. And again, it's maybe a stretch to say that the, the primary thing that gets in the way of somebody trying to get to Jesus is other people. And yet my experience growing up in church would tell me the exact, that that's exactly true. You know, on occasion there's somebody who, who comes to church, reads the Bible, they get to know Christ, and, and they feel that God is asking something of them that they cannot do. Like the rich young ruler who came to Jesus one day and says, what must I do to have eternal life? And ultimately, Jesus says, sell all your stuff and come follow me. And Jesus said that to him because he knew that the guy loved his stuff more than anything else. He was very rich. And he was unable to do it. And he went away sad because he was unable to give up something to follow Jesus. Now, on occasion, there are people who come to the church and there's something they're unwilling to give up. And so they leave disheartened. But what I've discovered is primarily people come to church and they run into people. They run into greedy people, they run into selfish people, they run into critical people, they run into controlling people. Should I go on? <laughs> right? I don't know, you're thinking, this lovely crowd, how could any of that exist here? Of course, our church is exempt from that. No, we're not. Right? None of us is perfect. We're, we're, we're broken, sinful people seeking to be transformed, seeking to love, and all of that stuff. But, but we, we get in each other's way all of the time. And that's true. I've seen that. And it sounds like I'm a, I'm a downer on church, but can I say... I've spent my whole life in church, and in spite of some of the bad things I've seen, I keep coming back because of Jesus, right? It's in spite of people. It's because they're God's people. You, you don't love your brothers and sisters because they're perfect. <laughs> they get on your nerves. They're annoying. They hurt you. They do all that, but they're your family, and it's Christ that we're pursuing. So, so again, it sounds like I'm being negative, but what I'm trying to say is like sometimes we can be the thing that gets in the way of someone who's coming to find Jesus. And, and if that's you today, if you come here to Pathway Church and you're like, I want to know who this Jesus is, do not let us get in your way. Some knucklehead will say something dumb, tell you you can't, this or that, get in your way. You just, even if it's the pastor, you just ignore us and you pursue Jesus. And I'm thankful Zacchaeus didn't just like, oh, there's too many people, I'll just go home. He was committed to knowing who Jesus was, so he doesn't stop there. He would not be denied. Here's what it says in the next verse. So he ran on ahead. Crowds all around Jesus. He runs ahead down the road, and it says he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. When I was in, uh, when I was in Sunday school as a little kid, they taught us a song. It was like, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. 
They didn't sing it with the Scottish accent. That's a little embellishment. But we, we used to we would tell the story of Zacchaeus, and they had something called a flannel graph. Yeah, this will throw back. And they would stick the little tree on there, and there'd be like a little crowd of disciples and Jesus in the middle. Um, it wasn't to scale. It was only like six disciples, you know, instead of thousands. And, and then there was the little tree, and they would stick Zacchaeus up in the tree. I still remember to this day seeing it on the little flannel graph. Like, oh, yeah, you could kind of envision it. But I never thought at that time about what it would look like for the chief tax collector, like the boss, somebody who's renowned and famous and wealthy, and they wore robes in those days. They didn't have, they didn't have like yoga pants and like track pants and stuff. Like he's in a robe and he climbs up into a tree. Like I don't think 2,000 years ago that was proper etiquette. Like he's up in the tree watching for Jesus as he passes. Like he is not going to be denied. This guy is going to see Jesus somehow. It's amazing. And so he climbs up into the tree. He puts his pride aside. And uh, here's what it says next. It says, Jesus came to the place. He, he looked up, and he says to him, Zacchaeus. Now, you may think, oh, of course, they're old buddies. No, no. We have no record that there's any relationship or knowledge of who this, like, how does Jesus know who Zacchaeus is? He's from the area of Jericho. Jesus, to our knowledge, never spent time in Jericho. So he's like walking. He sees a guy. He calls him out by name. Can you imagine the shock? <laughs> Zacchaeus is like, who is this guy everyone's talking about? He's up in the tree, he's watching. Oh, I think, I think that's him right there. Everyone's kind of circling around that guy. And he points up and says, Zacchaeus. <laughs> Boom. Talk about an eye-opening experience. How does he know who I am? One of the things I've discovered is that when someone's pursuing Christ, when you're seeking to know who this Jesus is, and then all of a sudden you, you, you come to know him, here's, what you, here's the first thing you're going to recognize. He knows your name. You thought you, you came to church, or you thought you went to Bible camp. You thought you went looking for Jesus, but he was already looking for you. You thought, oh, I wonder who this guy is, and then you recognize he knows your name, he knows your thoughts, he knows, your mo- he knows everything about you, and he loves you, cares for you, and he calls you out. This is like this light that turns on in, in a person's heart when they realize. We used to sing a song, I Found Jesus, old delirious song. And, uh, you know, I found Jesus. Because it feels like, you know, you have, oh, I found him. But in reality, he, he found you, and he, and he knew you, and he gave his life for you long before you ever gave a thought to him. And so he calls out his name, Zacchaeus, and here's what he says next. He says, hurry and come down. When, when Christ calls, we should not delay. You know, sometimes it's like, well, I sense God calling me. I sense him calling my name. I'll think about it for a while. <laughs> you know, we do that, right? Like, and, and Jesus isn't like, oh, well, whenever you're ready, come on down. I'll just hang out over here and do some miracles while I wait for you. It's like, get down here, move. And of course, we see Zacchaeus' heart and his willingness. He, he, he does exactly that. He, he comes down. Jesus next says, um, he says, for I must stay at your house today. Again, we read a story like this and we're like, of course. Jesus and Zacchaeus are old buddies and they're just going to hang out. No, 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 no. He calls him out by name, says, get down here quick. I'm coming to your house. What you have to understand is that um, religious leaders, teachers, didn't hang out with tax collectors. You, you didn't go to their house like for a social, like let's hang out. He was, a, he was a sinner. He was an outcast. He was the wrong person for a Jewish rabbi to hang out with. And yet, Zacchaeus comes down and says he hurried, came down, and received him joyfully. He is more than happy to have Jesus come to his house. But we see the response of the religious people of the day. See, I don't think the religious people were necessarily all bad. 
the religious leaders of the day had this basic framework that you had to be a certain type of person to warrant having a rabbi come and spend time with you. You, you had to you know, pay tithes at the temple and offer sacrifices and you had to live a holy life. And there were certain prerequisites for being able to spend time with someone like Jesus or like them. <laughs> and they see Jesus going to this guy's house and they're like, whoa, 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 you're way outside the box, brother. And so we see here in verse 7, it says they saw it. They saw Jesus going to Zacchaeus' house. And what did they do? They grumbled. They're all talking. Can you believe he's going there? He probably doesn't know who that Zacchaeus is. He's a tax collector. He's the chief tax collector. He's a turncoat. He's a traitor to our nation. If Jesus goes there, he's going to affirm him, and everyone's going to think like Jesus and him are buddies, and they're just carrying on. He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And I think it's true. Man was a sinner. I think Zacchaeus was a dude that had done some things he shouldn't do. And yet Jesus goes anyway. Now, this, this is a box, a framework question. I, I've got a little, a little slogan, and this is kind of the way that I learned, I learned the way church should work. Uh, let me explain it this way. The idea was, when I was a kid, like, that somebody needs to become a Christian, say a prayer, accept a particular set of beliefs, whatever it is. Like, so, so you do this thing, you become a Christian, and then you have to believe what we believe, so we're going to put you through classes, we're going to teach you all our core doctrines, and once you agree with all of those doctrines, you, you believe in Jesus, you believe like you think and believe and act like us, then and only then you belong to our community. Makes sense, right? It's like, once you do this and then this and all this, then, then we'll love you, accept you, come into our community and belong. That's the way it's been done. That's the way they did it 2,000 years ago, the religious leaders. That's the way... Many churches in the last hundred years have chosen to operate. Jesus did not operate that way. He flipped the whole thing on its head. And we see this throughout his ministry, that he loved people who were nothing like him. He talked with the woman at the well. He shouldn't have talked to her. And, and he ministered to her. And because of his love for her and the way he communicated to her, she believed in him. He would invite people to follow him before they believed he was the Messiah. You know, his disciples were walking with him for years until they finally clued in. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. <laughs> you know, they, they, weren't, they weren't convinced. And, and so Jesus would invite people into his circle and he would love them and he would, he, they would feel a sense of belonging. And because of that, they would realize who he is and they would believe in Jesus. And then because they believed that Jesus was the Son of God, they would become followers of Jesus. And you see this time and time again, how Jesus steps into people's worlds outside of the box, what we think he should, and loves people, extends mercy and grace. The scripture tells us the kindness of the Lord leads us to repentance. And Jesus moves into that space that nobody thinks he should be in. And because of it, people begin to understand who he is. And because of that, their life is transformed. Here's what it says. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord. So he spends some time with Jesus in his house. Jesus you know, shouldn't have been there, technically, according to the human traditions. He says, behold, Lord, something has happened. He believes in who Jesus is, and he is willing to change and align his life with what Jesus would want for him. Here's what he says, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Remember, wealthy. He says, I'm going to take half of my net worth. Let's say he had a million dollars. I'm going to take $500,000 and I'm going to give it all to the poor. <laughs> it's kind of a big deal. 
You know, people often say to me, they're like, you know, I don't like this whole tithing thing, you know, giving 10% of the Lord. That's so Old Testament. That's not New Testament. Then I just point them to verses like this, like, you want to see New Testament? And then they're thinking to themselves, let's go back to the Old Testament. I like that better. Yeah. <laughs> I like the 10% thing. That's, that's spiritual. Jesus didn't tell him to give anything away, guys. He is so impacted by the love of Christ that generosity is the natural result. That's the bottom line. He decides, I'm going to do this. And not only that, but he also decides to make his life right, to restore relationships that may have gone amok. And he says this, he says, I'll give half to the poor, and he's like, if I've defrauded, lied, stolen, overtaxed anybody of anything, I'll restore it fourfold. That was in keeping with the Mosaic Law. If you wrong somebody, you would pay them four times as much to reconcile for it. He says, I'll do that too. So you see a man that people thought Jesus had no business being with. Because Jesus loves him and moves in his direction, this, this man's life and heart are transformed, and his life begins to align with exactly what the Lord would have for him. And then Jesus says to this in verse 9, we're almost done. He said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Something has happened here today that is significant. It's eternal. Since, he says, he is also a son of Abraham. Now this is interesting because he was likely a Jew, so he was already a son of Abraham, physically. What Jesus is saying is, Abraham was not only the father of the Jewish nation, he was the father of faith. Because he trusted and believed in God. And he's like, this man has, has demonstrated faith in me, in the promise of God. And because of it, he's not only a Jew, a descendant of Abraham, but he is a son of Abraham by faith. He's, he's the promise. This is it. This is powerful. And you can imagine the religious leaders are going, what just happened? Jesus finishes by saying this, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the statement he gives to help us understand what exactly has just transpired. He says, I came to seek and save lost people. Not coins, not sheep, people who are far from God. Jesus, for Jesus, the mission always trumped the model. The mission always trumped the tradition. The mission trumped everything to pursue lost and broken people. So you may be here today and you, uh, you may think to yourself, well, I'm looking for Christ. Can I tell you he's looking for you? He's been calling your name. And I pray today that you would look past some of the things. Uh, church, a lot of people come here and they've been hurt somewhere. And I don't, I don't throw criticism or judgment at anybody else. It's just like, hey, can we just get back to Jesus? Can we look to him? Because we're all going to mess up. We're going to get in each other's way. But Christ is calling. Christ is calling. And it's him that transforms hearts and lives. So I want to I close in prayer. And then I'm going to take a few minutes to share with you uh, something that we're going to be doing as a church to kind of get out of our own tradition and box. But, but let's pray together. Father, as we read the, the words that Luke wrote so long ago, we see a man who everyone would have written off who has a, a desire to know you and who pursues you at all costs to himself. Lord, we realize that it wasn't just him pursuing you, but that you were calling him by name and you call us by name. Father, I pray that for each person in this place, whether it was a decade or two or three ago, or maybe even today, that we turn to you for the first time with our full heart and believe on you because of your kindness and your love. I pray, Father, that no person would leave this place without doing that today. That we might recognize that our 
primary role is to follow you, to keep our eyes upon you, to follow wherever you lead. Help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A couple months ago, uh, we kicked off a, uh, this is a bit of information, a couple months ago, we kicked off uh, an initiative called For Peterborough. And we said this wasn't a, this wasn't a, a campaign, this is a culture thing. And so we're trying to, as a church, again, it's very easy for us, again, easy for us to uh, think, oh, we're doing things well, church is growing. But in the end, we, we stopped and looked at our ministries and programs and said, we want to get outside the walls of the church, outside of a Sunday structure, and, and make a difference and an impact in our city, to love our city in unconditional ways. So we started talking about being for Peterborough, kind of getting outside of our traditional box as a church. And uh, we talked about what that meant, and so people were really excited, and people have been bringing lots of ideas to me and to our team, saying, hey, we could do this and we could do that, and there's been hundreds of great ideas, but here's the, at the end of the day, we can't do them all. So what we want to do is, uh, what I want to do is share with you uh, a number of key initiatives that we're going to do collectively as a church in 2020, okay? So a month from now, we start a new year, and what we want to do is we want to let you know four key objectives that we're going to do. Uh, keep in mind, if God is leading you to work with a ministry, to help somebody, to go do something, please feel free to be for Peterborough and to follow the Lord's leading. That's, but as a church, there are going to be four key initiatives that we're going to do. Let me share with you what they are. Number one, um, in 2020, we're going to have two large Sunday events. Let me explain this. On these two Sundays, we are actually going to redirect our church on a Sunday morning away from services and into serving the community. Uh, This is something we've never done before, so it's going to take a lot of work and communication. Uh, But we're actually going to um, redirect our people who would normally attend and serve in the kids' areas and all that stuff, and we're going to go out as families and groups to serve in the community. Crazy, right? A little outside the box? Yep. Uh, yeah. And thank you. Thank you in the back. Love it. You know, uh, we've, we've already had lots of arguments for those that are like, is that church? Like, uh, can you do, what about worship? What about, all? hey, we, that's a tension that we feel. We're like, yeah, we get that. You know, we get that. Uh, but we also know that it's important for us to serve our community. So I, I like to say it this way. We're going to put the, the word service back into worship worship service. I thought it was fun. Uh, so we'll get out and do that. And, uh, and so here's, here's how this works. Uh, so the end of April will be our first one. I'll get to all the dates and information to you soon. Um, what we had in mind was to get our whole church mobilized, like kids, teens, everybody, on a Sunday morning from 10 to 12, and, and get out and clean the streets of the city of Peterborough, collecting garbage, recycling, all that stuff. Um, so we had been thinking about doing this for a while, and so I was looking into this and realized the Rotary Club has been trying to do this for years. They've got systems and banners and all this stuff organized with the city, and they've been having a hard time getting volunteers. So I, I contacted the president of one of the Rotary Clubs, sat down with them, and said, hey, like, can we help? It's like, yeah, of course you can. And he said, oh, you got a few volunteers? I said, yeah, we're like maybe 200 or 250. And ah, mouth dropped. And the response was really amazing. It was like, a church would do that? <laughs> yeah, our church would love to do that. And uh, so I explained to them what we're trying to do and why. And they're, they're just, they're, they're thrilled to have our help. And so we're going to come alongside an organization that's already trying to do something great. And we're just going to like bolster it and bring energy to it. Uh, my hope is that we'll be able to gather after we've done all our work in various areas to see all in one place, have barbecues, hang out as a church, celebrate. We'll have a big mountain of garbage and recycling that the city will conveniently pick up and take away. Uh, so anyway, so we're working on that. And then we'll do something again in the fall. And again, this is an opportunity for us to get out of the walls and to rub shoulders with our community and to make a difference in that way. It's very practical. 
but I think it's going to make an impact on our kids. And I hope that everyone of all ages, regardless of whether you think it's a great idea or not, would participate and come support it uh, as we try to be four cities. So we're going to do two of those. That's a big deal. Uh, the next thing we're going to do is a Mission Sunday. So on February 23rd is the date we have earmarked for it. Uh, we're going to have some of our partners, ministries in, uh, we have Food Share, Youth Unlimited, and a few others that our church is supporting financially and we're praying for and behind. And we want to have them come and share what they're doing in that service and also give opportunities for our church to volunteer and help where there's needs in those organizations. So we want to be for our city. One of the ways we can do it is by strengthening our partnerships. We're also going to have tables at the back where people in our church who are missionaries, who are doing different things for the Lord can, can put up a table and, and share what they're doing with our church. So it's going to be just this amazing time to, to see what the Lord's doing and give us opportunities to partner. Third thing we're doing uh, for 2020 is our serve teams. We've already started those. So we're going down every other week with groups and we're feeding um, the less fortunate downtown. So we want to continue with that as, as much as we're able to regularly and routinely help in that area. So our church will help provide the funding for the food and we need volunteers to go down and make that a reality. So that's the third thing. The last thing we're going to do in 2020, individual challenges. So on di some different Sundays through the year, we're going to challenge you as individuals or families to do some things. Maybe to rake your neighbor's leaves, build a bridge. Maybe to invite someone from work over and have them over for a meal and get to know them. Uh, maybe to go out and do a particular thing. So we're going to have individual challenges. So we've got all of those things that are all brand new to our church. We're rolling them all out in 2020. There's a million other things we could do, but that's what we're committed to do. And for us, that's, that's a way to kind of break out of our traditional box and to be for our city. So I hope that makes sense. I hope that you guys are on board with that. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.